It was in broad daylight. I put my guard down and they did it. I can't help but applaud because whatever, it just was. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the 16th episode of She's Got Balls podcast. I am your host, Grace Curitolo, and today is Monday, October 19th, 2020, one week closer to the end of this wild year. We have a great show for you today, this week, and we have on the amazing Sydney Weiss, who is a guard for the WNBA team, LA Sparks. Before we get into a great conversation with her, we're going to quickly go through some game recaps and pregame details. Last week in the NFL, Titans remain undefeated at 5-0, beating the Buffalo Bills and Texans even after their COVID outbreak. And the Steelers also remain undefeated at 5-0 after smashing the Cleveland Browns this past weekend. Sorry, Baker Mayfield. The Jets are still winless at a sad 0-6 after losing to the Miami Dolphins. However, was amazing seeing Tua first game in the NFL. And Rob Gronkowski got his first touchdown as a Tampa Bay Buck in their win against the Green Bay Packers. In the MLB, the Tampa Bay Rays advanced to the World Series for only the second time in franchise history after a winning Game 7 against the Houston Astros. Thank goodness the Astros didn't win because I was about to be so mad after their cheating scandals and dilemmas and issues. Thank goodness they didn't. And also the L.A. Dodgers will be moving forward to face the Rays in the World Series after beating the Braves in the NLCS also in Game 7. So this is going to be hopefully an amazing matchup to watch this coming week. For the pregame details, we have Monday Night Football tonight with two games. But most importantly, the bigger game is going to be the Buffalo Bills against the Chiefs. They are both 4-1. And the Cardinals and Cowboys will also be playing tonight on Monday night. I can't believe we're already going into week seven of the NFL. And it will kick off on Thursday for some Thursday night football with the Giants and the Eagles. Both teams will be fighting to get their second win this season. We have a big game on Sunday also at 1 p.m. with the two undefeated teams, Titans and Steelers, will be going head to head. Okay, guys, it is officially World Series time, October baseball coming to an end with an amazing game one, hopefully this Tuesday, tomorrow, October 20th against the LA Dodgers and Tampa Bay Rays. They're going to be going back to back, so it's going to be pretty nuts this series. Only two days off in this series, so be sure to check out some baseball this week before it's all gone. And now we are going to jump into my conversation with Sydney Weiss. Sydney went to Oregon State and graduated in 2017 and then was drafted to the LA Sparks number 11 overall in the 2017 WNBA draft. She was a great person to have and such an amazing conversation. So without further ado, let's bring in Sydney Weiss. All right, everyone. Now we have on Sydney Weiss. Thank you so much for joining us today. And where are you calling from? Where are you at right now? I am actually in Sin City right now. I'm in Las Vegas. Um, Yeah, I know. I've been 
out here working on, I hurt my ankle during the season. So I have a trainer out here who I've been doing rehab and treatment with. So I mean, what a place to do rehab for my ankle in Sin City, you know, that that sounds like a fun time there. So you're in your own bubble, but in in a rehab bubble. Yeah, exactly. So before we get into the WNBA bubble, let's bring it back all the way to the beginning. You're from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm actually going there next week. Beautiful timing to go there. Going to Sedona. I've never Ever been. You're gonna so love we'll it. have to talk after because I need some recommendations. Yes, I'm for sure. Very excited. But growing up now, this is a serious question coming from someone in Buffalo, New York, and you are from Arizona. Outdoor sports in Arizona, you're indoors. What's it like? How do you handle that? There's a reason why I chose an indoor sport. I mean, okay. my family loves basketball, so I was led in that direction, but we have all outdoor sports. Like we have soccer, we have baseball, we have softball, we have lacrosse, everything. I don't know how people do it. I, I really you don't. You don't even bother. You don't even try. No. When, cause I went to school in Oregon and so it normally doesn't really snow there either, but it was, it snowed. Like we got back from a road trip. I swear we got back literally from the Bahamas and it was like, there was snow everywhere. And I was like, why, why? <laughs> but also, wow, this is beautiful. It's a winter wonderland. And that's so cool. So you kind of mentioned your family is a big basketball family. Your dad was your coach growing up? He coached while I was growing up. My brother and I would go, go to his camps and go to all of his games. And then I wanted to play for him one day. And he actually was a coach at my high school. And he was the head coach my senior year. Um, and that was like a dream come true. I might be a little bit biased, but he honestly is like one of the best coaches I've ever played for. Um, and so it was a really great experience and growing up and watching him coach that, that prepared me for actually being coached by him. And he gave me a heads up, like, I'm not going to give you any handouts by any means. Like it's going to be harder for you, but I also value our relationship as father daughter more than player coach. So just let me know when to back off. So he, he handled it amazingly. It was such a fun time. I, I loved that season with him. That's awesome. And so he was a girls basketball coach before you were even in school. I hear a lot of them starting to become a coach when their kids are playing. But with your dad, he was a coach already. How did he get involved in women's basketball, you think? That's a good question. I know my parents grew up in a very small town, like population 750 people. And so they both played every sport that they could. Uh, my dad fell in love with basketball. He played one year in college and then um, got an education degree. So he became a teacher and then got into coaching. And so I'm not sure what led him to coaching girls. Uh, but I know that I think what he values is um, he could connect with girls, not just t- say that boys don't want to have fun with the game, but the fundamentals of the game. It's like a different type of uh, preparation that goes into each game. And so he loves the the fundamentals and doing those basketball camps. And uh, he felt like he could connect with them on that foundation more so than boys. Oh, that's really cool. But you do have an older brother, though. I do. His name is Christian. Yeah, you did your research. Yes. my <laughs> Because my brother's name is Christian. Wow, look at that. And he's also my older brother. And I feel like I played lacrosse in college. And, and I feel that having your dad involved in your life with sports and everything is great but something about having an older brother with a great name Christian shout out to both Christians it just it I feel like growing up it hit me a little different you know we actually wrestled and fought around and definitely became more of a tomboy or growing up do you feel that him playing basketball or impacted you 
Yeah. So when we were, he's three years older than me and he's, he started playing before I did. And because we were at camps all the time together, that's influenced me for sure to make the decision to pursue it. Um, and then he ended up, he didn't really click with sports. He didn't really like the game as much. And so he decided to pursue other interests, which I think was healthy for our family because it definitely brought in my horizon. So it wasn't just like basketball, basketball, basketball. It was, I was able to go, he got into show choir and the, his show choir was like top five in the nation. And so it was oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Like he was like, he was dancing, he was singing. I was like, this is the stuff I'm talking about. It was so <laughs> cool to watch him. Like, this is what the family needs. Yes. Like, cause he's such a low key, shy, quiet dude. But then when you put him on stage, he just like puts on this whole persona. It was so, it's so fun to watch him perform like that. Oh, that's so cool. And then you ended up leaving Arizona, going to Oregon. Do you guys say Oregon or Oregon? Because I personally go back and forth myself. <laughs> I say Oregon. Oregon. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, how did you end up going there away from your family and all that? So what appealed to me, I'm a very relationship oriented person. And I clicked with the coaching staff and the girls when I went on my visit up to Oregon State. And what another thing that was cool about it was they were in the Pac-12 conference. So I knew that I would be coming back home to Arizona to play two times a year um, and that it would be on the West Coast who I was going to be working with and that we could do something that had never been done there before. That was also I loved being the underdog and sort of overlooked in, you know, there were so many different programs that had established themselves and I wanted to help do something um, at Oregon State. When you were looking at Oregon and everything, were you specifically going for basketball and you were thinking basketball long term? When I started to take basketball more seriously, like in seventh grade, I laid out three goals of playing varsity all four years in high school, division one in college, and then playing professionally. And so I didn't know how I was going to do that or what it was going to look like, but that was what was on my heart. And Oregon State, there was a shift because basketball sort of took a second seat compared to the relationships that I felt were going to be developed there and that were going to help me become the best version of myself, both on and off the court. And then however the, the pieces were going to fall into place, I trusted that. And so I just wanted to, I think it's more important to enjoy who you're working with and how you do things. And that will put you in position for the next step of your life. And that's what I saw at Oregon State. Oh, that That's so exciting to hear. I feel that if you can see opportunity at a, at a school in particular, that it just makes it that much more fun and exciting because you need to be challenged, but you also want that opportunity to grow and learn and lead other people. So, and that's exactly what you did there. You had some crazy stats. You broke the school record in assists and three pointers made in a career. So congratulations. And so many other cool things, including you're only one of 14 players all time to make the all pack 12 team and all four years you were there. So getting these accolades and these awards, did that mean a lot to you when looking into the WNBA? Do you feel that you need almost kind of a record book or a resume when you're trying to get into the WNBA? No, I think what's so cool about basketball, what I've always cherished about it is the team component. And we have, you might have your own goals along the way or visions for yourself, but you don't attain those if you don't succeed as a group. And I think, like I said, that shift occurred for me going into college where 
I looked to my right and my left and I was like, I want them to be successful. I want us as a group to achieve what our visions are set on. And I think that's so there's so much power in that because you're unified in those goals and you're going after um, a common vision. You know, my heart was set on the WNBA and I sort of lost sight of that in order to do what I had to do while I was at Oregon State. And thankfully it aligned me with that path and it has given me this opportunity now. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, it's so important to focus. It's hard to not focus on the future and just sometimes focus on the present. Exactly. And it can be very overwhelming, especially if you are trying to go in a career that is so competitive and you were drafted in 2017, 11th pick overall. What was that whole surreal, oh my gosh, I did it. I went from my dad being my coach moment to hopefully he could see me on the big screen. Yeah, that I think that was probably the first time that it sunk in, like that this was actually happening for me because I had your seventh grade, fourth step plan worked. (laughs) Exactly. Like my 12 year old self was like, hell yeah, Sydney Weiss way to go. (laughs) Um, and so that moment for sure, because I was so invested in those moments throughout high school and then getting to college, being in college, doing what I could there. Then when my name was called, it's one of those times in your life that you really can't put into words. You just feel it all. And you're so grateful for everything. You feel it all. And so like even now still talking about it, it's like that's one of the coolest moments probably in my life so far. I, w- I wonder what that's like. I won't know what it's like, but, you know, I'll live through you. And you were <laughs> able to stay on the West Coast like you loved, which is awesome. This is your fourth year with Los Angeles. Once you got to LA, you know, you were one of the top players in high school. You go to Oregon, you help build and grow that program. And now you come to the WNBA where it's a lot less people. And now everyone was the best. How did you handle that mentally, but also, you know, physically the challenge of, okay, I'm no longer a superstar in a way, you know, you're competing. Yeah. I think, you know, the moment that your name gets called fades very quickly because it becomes real and it becomes, oh, okay, this is probably one of the most competitive professions in the world because we're all, there's only 144 spots and you're fighting for a job now. And so on top of wanting to compete, be the best that you can for your team, you also want to make sure that you have a seat at the table, which isn't guaranteed. And so I had a lot to learn. Like I said, my college experience was amazing um, because it was so family oriented and culture based. It's a weird dynamic that you don't really, it's tough to prepare for until you're in it. Um, and so it was a challenge for me to elevate my game to the next level because it's a huge, it's a huge jump from who you are in college doesn't necessarily translate to the professional level. And so it took time and it's still, I'm still learning. That's the beauty of this game. You're always going to be progressing even when you're a professional. Uh, but it was definitely a, a large learning curve for me, but I, I grew in so many ways and I'm grateful for the adversity that I faced um, in those first couple of years of transitioning. In your first year and you're around all these amazing athletes, like, Subert, Candace Parker, was there one particular moment that you were like, holy shit, like this is who I'm going up against or do not mess up? There were definitely a few moments because I grew up in Phoenix. So watching the Mercury, that was another ironic thing. Like I got drafted by LA 
and there's a rivalry between LA and Phoenix. And so I was like, this feels so wrong, but I love it. <laughs> like, I am not going to complain one minute about it because this is my new team. But I think the first time we played Phoenix, it was like, whoa, like I grew up in those stands watching the Phoenix Mercury, watching whoever came to play them. And now I'm on the court. That for me is like, how is this even happening right now? Played also a little bit overseas. Is that correct? I know there's women's basketball is so big overseas. And now women's soccer is also starting to become that. Do you think that's a good opportunity that you guys have that? Or do you almost wish just the money and the fandom and the opportunities were more in the U.S.? I know that I've appreciated being able to travel the world because of basketball. I have met incredible people. I've played in Australia, Israel, and Spain. And to have that opportunity, it's like you're on vacation, but you're work like you're playing a sport over in a different country. And I've been able to experience things, places, people that I would not have been able to experience without basketball. And it's tough being away from home. You have to sacrifice a lot. You miss a lot. I think the best way that you can go and achieve that is by actually playing. And so um, it would be nice to continue to gain momentum as the WNBA progresses. And I know that we had a big season this last summer and the CBA announcement in January, it was huge. And I know that that's good. That's taking us on an upward trajectory for sure. Uh, but I, I still wouldn't trade the overseas experiences for anything. Those are, it's, it's amazing to have that opportunity to meet people and to experience those different countries. Right. I, kind of like you just said also in the beginning, I mean, just the opportunity to travel. If you're someone that loves traveling, then you can work in a different country for a small part of the year, I, that's something I would totally do as well. And you make a good point that just, you know, take away the basketball aspect, just the life aspect of meeting other people and just seeing the world. Do you have a favorite team you play or location specifically you played with so far? I've loved all the countries I've been able to go to. But last year, I think Spain was my favorite. Their lifestyle over there. I just love the European lifestyle. I was in like northwestern Spain. I struggle to pronounce the name of the city still to this day. It was like La Seo de Urgel. It was it was something like that. Probably. I was in Barcelona for six weeks, so I loved it. Oh there. my gosh. I Barcelona. So I was like two and a half hours north of Barcelona. Okay. Um, but that place, I love Spain. Fun Electric. Fact, I got my phone stolen in Barcelona. Oh, of course. Yeah. So well, I'm sure were you experience. out or was it at night? No, it was in broad daylight. I was, you go, you I know. put my guard down and they did it. And I was like, I can't help but applaud because whatever it just was. They do that. They just do that. That's what they do. A true Barcelona yeah. experience. It's, it cool. it's impressive. I, you know, I, I appreciate you for just applauding you, them because it's like, yeah. how? Like you put, how they do you like do that? sense weakness. Like I put my guard down and like turn my head. My phone is right here. One was distracting me and then I can only assume. No way. Oh, it was a tag team? I, I can only assume because some lady was like, do you want a massage? Do you want a massage? And I was like, no. And then <gasps> I just, oh. Someone came from behind. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Like I was like almost falling asleep. Like it was my fault. It was my fault. Happens to the best of us. So with these, I'm always curious. You played in three different countries and you're able to develop different parts of your game is there different 
coaching styles that you weren't expecting or is almost the game of basketball just, you know, the same all around the world? There are definitely similar components. That's what's so great about basketball. Like the game is the game, but there's always new ways and different ways to go about how you go through uh, practice or game plan, whatever the case may be. They've challenged me to almost hold myself to a standard because in college, the my coaches there, like it was like, this is where we operate from. And then at the professional level, it's more so you got to demand it from yourself. Like it's not their job to get you there. In Spain, that league was probably one of my favorites too. It's very fast, very physical, um, very talented players in that league. They also play super hard. Like I got there for practice. My first practice, they're like, oh, you're in shape. You just got done with playoffs. I was dead. I was like, you guys you guys work differently here. Like this is next level work. And so it's it's definitely good because there's always different dimensions of how you can work in ways that you can continue to improve yourself. And that was definitely the case last year in Spain for me. Oh, man. How do you guys find these teams? Is it your agent that works with almost recruiting in a way? Yeah, my our agents have relationships with different teams throughout the world. And then like I, I love my agent. Shout out to Eric because he is he just does what I feel like he finds the best fit for me. And so whatever I feel like I'm comfortable with, he el- eliminates different teams that might not match with me. And then it's like matchmaking. Like he just tries to find the perfect match. Like I said, shout out to Eric. I don't know how he does it, but go Eric. Woo! <laughs> That's cool. Now you're so cultured and experienced and just sure. <laughs> worldly <laughs> gal over here. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so now uh, coming up now with this year, you're in Spain then. COVID hits. What was it like there? Were you guys in your season? Like kind of how did that all come down? It happened really fast. It happened. I mean, I feel like when it was happening in the States in March, like it happened in the world, like where at least because I, I had known about COVID since like December. So really? I knew, yeah, like I knew that it was making its way through China. Like there were a couple WNBA players who were in China and had to go home because wow. of the virus. And so like I saw it from a different perspective because I saw articles like making its way through China and then it hit Europe. And then it was oh. like, oh, now it's in the States. And so we were still playing. We had just had like a tournament the, the weekend before everything hit the fan. And when the, when the NBA announced like, oh, we're postponing the season and everything, the travel ban is going to be initiated, all this stuff, then everything escalated for us. Like our season was postponed because we just found out that there were more cases in Spain than had been talked about. Like I had no idea that it was as bad in Spain as it was. So everything took place in like a matter of days. Our, the travel ban was initiated. I was home like 48 hours later. It was quick. Wow. So you got home. Then what happened? And then I was supposed to quarantine for two weeks. I, I, when I was traveling back, like the day before I lost my smell and my taste, had night sweats. I just was like, maybe I'm just stressed. I had been traveling a lot. My brother got married the month before. So I was like in the States, back to Spain, in the States, back to Spain. So I was like, yeah, maybe I'm just like, my body's like, screw you, Sid. Like, why, why are you doing this to us? And so like a week into my quarantine, a friend sent me an article saying that a new symptom of the virus was losing smell and taste. And it like, it was crazy. Like I had never, cause sometimes like when you get a cold, like, 
your nose gets stuff so you can't taste but I could breathe did you take a shot of tequila like they do on TikTok and it's like oh no I don't taste it at all <laughs> I actually took a shot of apple cider vinegar oh you didn't taste that didn't taste it at all that's kind of weird. That's scary. Yeah, I had like, I ate like raw ginger root. Couldn't taste that either. It was, it was wild. It was serious. I was like, I'm never going to be able to smell or taste again. Then like two weeks into my quarantine, I had tried to get tested like two t- different times. And the third time I finally got a test and it was positive. And I was like, okay, at least I know I'm just going to continue to mind my business fully. Like everything was smooth. My case was mild and my parents were safe. And so we, we survived COVID. You didn't. Did this impact the bubble on how you were going to be there or anything like that? No, I think it definitely impacted me in the questions I was asking in preparation for it because I had experienced it. And so I just wanted to make sure that we are going to take the necessary protocol and what the testing would be like, because the test is like, I don't know who created this test for it, but it's the worst thing I've ever experienced. And so I knew we were going to get tested every day. And I was like, if we're getting tested like that every day, I'm concerned that might be a health hazard within itself. So we're going to have to, I need to know details here. And so there were definitely, we, there was so much effort and thought put into this season, obviously for our health and safety, for everybody's health and well-being. So that was probably the only impact um, that my experience put into this preparation for our season because I, I felt fine. Like once I was done, like through with it, I was good to go, thankfully. Uh, but I just knew that I wanted to make sure that we were good to go if we were to have. Did you enjoy your time in the bubble? The bubble experience was life changing. Like it's still sort of tough to put into words, um, but there was so much good from it. I loved who I got to be in there with who I got to work with every day, an amazing way to express ourselves and to release pent up emotions with um, in regards to the pandemic in regards to social unrest, uh, so many things that a lot of us had been carrying and we can just sort of express ourselves through basketball and release all these emotions. Uh, So it was definitely a lot of blessings that came hand in hand with, you know, we were stretched in a lot of ways. It's, you know, physically tolling, uh, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you're away from your family of you games every other day. Uh, you're going through your own challenges and you're trying to just be out there and perform. Uh, but there was, it was good. Everyone put their best foot forward to make it happen and to, to cor- correct any mistakes that might've taken place as quickly as possible. So it just, it demanded a lot of communication from us, but we did it. We did it. You did it. You crushed it. And you kind of mentioned the social justice right there. And you have it on your shirt, do justice. Uh, oh, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. I like that. <laughs> you know, the WNBA before this season was heavily involved in social justice, but people almost didn't realize to an extent just because, you know, unfortunately it wasn't as prevalent in the world we lived in before 2020. How do you feel that, you know, honored to really be a part of such an amazing group of women that have such a strong impact in social justice? And you personally, I know you also mentioned in some other interviews that your mom works for a church and you're heavily involved in your church. How did you grasp your spiritual, mental well-being, being in the bubble, having all these social justice issues and maintain your faith and what you believe in? I think I honestly was late to the party in regards to advocating, learning, being active and actively racist in 
our world and our country. I'm a, I am to my core, a very passive person. I go with the flow. It is what it is. Embrace everything as it comes. But what the beginning of this summer was revealed to me, there has to be an active strategy and action that comes with loving people and justice. And I think this season that was one of our main vocal points was we want to be active and not performative in what we stand for in our calls to action. Uh, but I think the main thing was to be active in that, to advocate for those who might not be able to for themselves. And I think as white people, we have a different call to action than African-Americans, black people, people of color do, because a lot of it stems from white people's decisions and the white supremacy, everything, so many things that have been revealed to me. And so we can't stand on the sidelines and just say, well, this is a, a black person problem, or this is a African-American problem. No, it is, it's our problem. And so we got to step into that reality and do what we can to educate ourselves and to speak on what we believe in and be active in that. And so as a league, like you mentioned, we have been ahead of the curve when it comes to standing up and advocating for things that might not be normal or considered popular. And now that I think our league within itself is a form of rebellion because it's full of so many LGBTQ, uh, African-American powerful women who have been advocating for their existence. So our simple existence goes against what our country has been trying to suppress. And I, that's, there's so much power in that because against all odds, now for 20 plus years, our league has thrived and is continuing to gain momentum. And so to step into that, to be a part of that and to have a hand now in how we portray ourselves and how we are active in the world and our communities, it's an amazing privilege to hold on to and to use my faith foundation um, to love God, love others actively. That's beautiful. I love that. And I'm out of breath. <laughs> That was, but that's, you know, everything you said, though, is so powerful and so true. And not taking action is an action of itself. It's not doing anything. And just to take a stance and do something. And it's, I was so happy to hear how well their ratings did with ESPN and the WNBA. And it almost just goes to show you, you've seen the last five years that the WNBA is growing just in viewership and just awareness, but you never before seen a league all together and not just one team be rooted for you know people are just rooting for the WNBA and that just goes to show you that it's not just one team it's the entire league and people aren't even of course the talent is amazing that you guys all offer but just what you stand for like you said in a rebellious way of its own and I think that is so powerful. And I salute you and everyone in the WNBA for what you guys are doing. And oh, man. Okay. Last question. In college, you're always, as an athlete, getting sent to the line, running. This is super random. But I have all of those vivid memories of very gruesome sprints. At least I do. And my coach had one psychotic sprinting drill that she would call Yahtzee, which is forever scarred the game of Yahtzee for me and she would roll it and each <laughs> dice was a certain sprint. Now being a professional basketball player, does your coach still yell at you to go to the sidelines or hit the end line and run? No, no, no. And There's the no, thing is, the thing is if they tried, 
You think we would? No. <laughs> we would really? Not. We would not. So there's no team sprints in professional sports. The, the only thing that I... This is breaking news here. Can, can remember or have experienced is like free throws. Okay. But if you like talk back or get in trouble, you're not hitting the line in professionals. No. We don't have time for that. We are, our bodies are old. Our bodies need to be taken care of. We can't just run to run. If we're going to run. It's going to be game time decisions. Okay. Love that. So yeah, we've made it. I should have gone. Me. I've, I've paid my dues when it comes to sprints. That is no longer a thing. Oh man. Well, I will let you then recover and rehab that body out in Sin City. Cindy Weiss, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Once again, thank you so much, Cindy, for joining us today. Absolutely amazing conversation and so fun to talk to. For some quick league news around the sports industry in the NFL, Atlanta Falcons closed their facilities this past Thursday morning after a positive test came from a non-player and they are scheduled to play still the Vikings on Sunday. So hopefully the NFL will have no more scheduling issues. And we have our first report of a player not involving COVID this season with the Denver Broncos running back. Melvin Gordon has been charged with a DUI after going more than 25 miles an hour over the speed limit last Tuesday. So we will see how that plays out with the organization and what they will do moving forward. The NFL, unfortunately, is canceling this year's Pro Bowl game, but voting will still occur for the All-Star roster. And also, as I mentioned quickly earlier, Tua had his, I can't, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his last name, Tagovalia, maybe? But Tua had his NFL debut after suffering a horrible hip injury last year with Alabama. Miami still drafted him number one, after the injury, and I think it is such an inspirational, cool story. After all of his rehab and training, Tua finally was able to get onto his first NFL field. And after the game, he sat down on the field in the middle of the 15-yard line in full uniform for about 10 minutes just to soak it all in and FaceTime his parents who couldn't be there. You can see these pictures and videos of this story on our Instagram at She's Got Balls Podcast. And some tennis news. This is a pretty interesting story here to wrap things up. A tennis player, Sam Query, left Russia on a private plane after testing positive for coronavirus. Russia placed him in isolation after him and his wife tested positive before the main draw play started last week. And it was reported he wouldn't open his hotel room door for doctors and didn't inform anyone when he left the premise or the hotel. So a little bit of a scandal there sneaking away just because of COVID, but you're not going to be able to run or flee the country. So hopefully he's going to come out with an apology or an explanation of why he did that. And always, we will end with a hoot and a holler and sports content feature of the week. This is where right now we need to plug or put in some really cool music or sound effects to just bring this whole episode and podcast together like a little. I don't know if an air horn will do. But something cool like that, if you have an idea, let me know. 
Anyways, the hoot and a holler this week goes to the Buffalo Bills defensive tackle, Harrison Phillips. He works with children who have special needs and developmental differences all in Buffalo, New York. And recently, he hosted a drive-in movie theater for more than 200 families with children who have special needs. And each family received a pack of sports equipment and they were able to play some different games before the movie started. So thank you so much, Harrison Phillips, for all that you do for the special needs community and also Buffalo, New York. For this week's sports content feature of the week, we have the movie 42 from 2013. 2020 marks the centennial anniversary of the NNL, the Negro National League. And in honor of that, The movie 42 is going to be this week's feature as it's set in 1940 and it's about the Brooklyn Dodgers, a notorious move of signing a black baseball player, Jackie Robinson, a.k.a. number 42, being played by the amazing Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace. And this was, of course, a very controversial decision and it faced a lot of racism from every side. And the movie shows how Robinson demonstrated his courage and commitment of just staying quiet and letting his game talk for himself. Once again, that is the movie 42. And that is that for this week on Monday, October 19th. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode today. Please be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast to hear more and get notified for every episode each Monday. And also follow us on Instagram at She's Got Balls Podcast. And my personal Instagram and TikTok is at Grace Curtolo. Have a lovely week, and I challenge you to accomplish one thing off of your to-do list this week. Have a great one.